As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson. Hey everybody, Civilized Parking, I'm Zach Jackson, solo for now, don't go away, I will have a guest, his name is Robert Mays, he's my co-worker here at The Athletic, he is the host of The Athletic Football Show, um, he is a football nerd, uh, we are going to dive in uh, to the Browns uh, from an analytic perspective, from a financial perspective, from a big picture perspective, um, Robert lives in Chicago, Robert's covered the entire league for a long time, so um you know, we'll, we'll go up close and, you know, big picture view there. Um, it is mid-May. This normally would be the start of OTAs. You know, what we know is the Browns veterans are not here now. There is no indication that they're coming over the next three weeks. Um, to me, you know, it's a story because J.C. Treader is the president. It's a story because there are some activities that go along, and I think young players do benefit from them. But, guys, let's be honest. The Browns didn't have anything last year. They had a new staff. Um, and they did just fine, right? So they have adults running the team. They have adults on the team. They are doing virtual meetings three to four days a week. Guys are uh, you know, doing workouts together in some cases. Uh, I know, for example, some of the offensive linemen are back in town. You know, a few of the defensive players never left. So the rookies are going. Um, there's a mandatory minicamp in mid-June. And, you know, from talking to people who work for other teams – I know they're they're planning on having the veterans there. We don't know what's going to happen with the Browns, but again, uh, I'm looking at it uh, late July and, and into August for training camp and getting everybody together. I, I don't think the Browns are losing any ground or losing anything in the big picture here. So, rookie minicamp was last weekend. Um, even in a, quote, normal year, and with different Browns teams, rookie minicamp is nothing more than orientation. You know, seeing guys um, get in the building, they meeting their coaches, they're meeting each other. They, they have to wear the names on the front of their helmets because nobody knows who's who. So especially with the Browns team that we all think is good enough to make a deep run, um, not going to get any excited. And frankly, I'm ashamed of some of my colleagues at some of the comparisons they make and the angles they take. Anyway, it's rookie minicamp. So there were 16 or 17 players on the field. Um Guys ran around. There was one linebacker, one tight end, one offensive lineman in the whole camp. So, 
you know, nothing but but first impressions there. Um, you know, Anthony Schwartz is fast. Did we see him rip it open? No. You know, um, it's his first day. They had to bring in tryout quarterbacks to throw the ball, right? So we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, Demetric Felton's a smaller guy, which we kind of knew. Um, he's going to start at running back for this team. We'll see how that works out. The Browns are stocked with playmakers. Um, but we know Nick Chubb has a contract situation. We know Kareem Hunt has two years left on his team-friendly deal. We know at receiver that the uh, the three guys at the front of the line, you know, two of them, well, Richard's on a one-year contract. The other guys, Odell and Jarvis, um, you know, they're under contract for more years, but the guarantees are pretty much up, or in Odell's case, fully up. You know, after this year, he carries zero dead money. So the future of that position is wide open. Donovan Peoples-Jones, you know, really flashed some exciting, intriguing things last year. And we'll see. So we'll see how Schwartz fits. You know, we'll see how Jamarcus Bradley, who who had to play last year, if he can make the team. You know, we'll see where Felton fits. And, and you know, we'll see Richard Higgins. Um, every year he's not dressing for games, and then he's making big touchdown catches. And the thing about Peoples-Jones is he was a game day inactive, and then he was the fifth or sixth receiver, which in this offense is not, you know, really in the script. And then in the Dallas game, he was in making plays, right? And that was in September. And then in the Cincinnati game in October, he was making the winning touchdown catch. So uh, then later when he played and he was in the script and he got more comfortable, you saw more, and there's a lot to like there. So that's a really exciting intriguing player on a team full of them um, we know this defense is remade I don't know that it will be nine new starters it might be um, you know there are 15 or 16 starters on a modern NFL defense that's just how it is obviously only 11 can play at a time where you get a penalty for that we all remember the Freddie Kitchens era <laughs> um, but you know the way you shuffle in the linebackers the way you rotate your guys uh, and, and the Browns spent a lot of money to go get John Johnson the third, uh, they spent a decent amount of money to get Troy Hill, who they think brings versatility, experience, smarts, all of those things. They're willing to take the risk on Clowney, and I like the move. Um, you know, we'll see how that works out. They got a couple of bonus guys they feel like at rusher and Tack McKinley and Curtis Weaver. You know, hoping for really one hit there, and they totally remade the defensive tackle room. You know, which, which seems like a gamble. They they felt like they had to do it, and we'll see how that works out. Anyway. Um, you know, the main point of this update was rookie minicamp is in the books. You're not going to learn a lot. Um, you know, I, I, when real camp starts, yes, we'll talk a lot about Greg Newsom. We'll watch him closely. Yes, we'll talk about JOK. We'll watch him closely. I expect both of those guys to compete for snaps and starting jobs right away. But we have to see, you know, how all that works out. So anyway, right now, um, Robert Mays, my colleague, for what I believe is going to be an interesting and educational discussion uh, on the state of the team and where the Browns go with some really, really crucial decisions uh, pending in the coming weeks and months. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. As previously promised, I'm joined now by my colleague, Robert Mays. Uh, we're going to talk Browns. Robert, I guess, you know, from the Cleveland perspective, 
we know there's going to be a parade here next February. So I guess I would just ask you, will you be covering it from afar or will you actually be here for it? I'll probably cover it from afar. I don't know if I need to be there on site. I'll watch on TV. I'll get to see all the speeches. It's going to be a great moment, something that people in Cleveland and Browns fans have been waiting for for a long, long time. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and, and obviously, you know, there is the worry that we're getting a little ahead. The Browns have had talented teams before, but this is a really, really talented team. Uh, maybe they're ahead of schedule. Maybe they're not. You know, what is the gap in your mind um, from the Chiefs and the Bucks to the Browns? And, and, you know, what level of surprise would you have if there really was a parade next February? I, I would be a little bit surprised just because I don't think they're one of the best two or three or four teams. You know, I still think you could argue that Buffalo is stronger than Cleveland is still. And I think the biggest gap, the number one gap, is still at quarterback. And it's not as if Baker Mayfield can't be successful and can't play very well. I think he can. But when you look at teams like the Bucks, the Chiefs, even the Bills to a certain extent, I think those guys are able to succeed independent of their surroundings in a way that Baker Mayfield, as currently constructed, just isn't. With what's around him in Cleveland, you know that offensive system and what we've seen him do in it, some of the talent around him, I think when everything is firing, it can look really good. But when it's third and seven and there's no play action fake to be had and you need your guy to make a play, I still feel like there's a handful of guys I'd rather have than Baker Mayfield. And when you're parsing this kind of stuff, that's how granular you have to get. When this is it's Super Bowl talk and those those are the kinds of expectations you bring to it, you really have to nitpick with that kind of stuff. And I would say that's still the tiny detail I would fixate on if I was trying to describe the difference between these two. I hear you. And I mostly agree. I uh, I would ask this. Has anybody done a better job than Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, though, of from system to personnel, putting people in place that their quarterback doesn't have to be the hero, right? Absolutely. Like, of course. And I think that's a huge reason that they are contenders. You know, that and that's that matters. And over the course of a 17 game season. I think the proof will be there offensively. You know, this was a top 10 offense last year. You know, if you if you look at numbers, you know, whether it's uh, EPA per play or DVOA, I mean, th- this team finished ninth in offensive DVOA last year, eighth in weighted offensive DVOA. So they got better as the season went along. This can be a top 10 unit. This could be a top five unit on offense if they can stay healthy and get Odell back and back and all of that. But again, when you get to the playoffs and there are these high leverage moments and you need your guy to come through when everything else around him isn't perfect, that to me is the conversation. But over the course of an entire season, I think that they've set him up about as well as you can set him up. No, I totally agree. Um, in three years, you know, we've seen bad Baker. Um, we've seen good Baker. I, I think the highs have been pretty high, right? Late in his rookie season and late last year. And I just look at, the three coaches in three years. I mean, that's malpractice, right? That's just a failure by the organization. But the way he started playing late last year and the way Kevin started calling the games because he trusted his quarterback. I mean, these are just simple numbers, but uh, weeks 12 to 17, you know, 11 touchdowns, one interception, almost 300 yards a game. You just see it in Baker. He doesn't hide, right? The body language tells you. And like, basically, as you said, I mean, the, you never just carry things over in the NFL, but you have to feel like with some carryover, this offense is positioned to maybe just really take off. 
I totally agree. And I think that it's dangerous to predict linear improvement from players, from teams, all of that. Where a team left off isn't necessarily indicative of where a team is going to go. But if you talk to people there, I'm sure they would tell you. There's just an ease of knowledge and conversation now. They know what Baker likes and what he doesn't. Baker's gotten more comfortable with certain aspects of the offense. You know, when he walked in there last year, they're going through, I guess, virtual OTAs or whatever it is, even in a training camp. All of the boot stuff and some of the movements associated with that, that's foreign to him. He has not run that sort of system before. So just his comfort level with certain idiosyncrasies involved with this offense, I'm sure, have grown leaps and bounds over the last year. And the idea that they can come into this set of virtual OTAs and just know what each other are talking about. There's an advantage there. That allows you to build on something rather than creating the foundation of something. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if there's a little bit of a jump this year, even if history would tell us that when a team gets that better, much better offensively, regression is coming. But if you look at how bad they were for that month-long stretch in the first half of the season, the weather they had to play in, missing Odell in the back half of the season, this is one of those situations where even if the numbers would typically dictate a fall from 8th to 12th just because of the bounce and how that the math usually works, I think they could just keep on creeping up and up and up. No, I agree. I mean, I can tell you last year in training camp, like, getting two completions was, you know, strung together was a struggle, <laughs> right? Um, but I, to me, like I said, it's always the body language with Baker. He, he's not, a, you know, he's out there. He's an in-your-face kind of guy. But this is a running team. This is maybe the best offensive line in the league. It's certainly the best combo of running backs in the league, right? They're built for quote-unquote AFC North football. But late in the year, like, Kevin was letting it rip. And Baker's body language was saying, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm confident with this. So, the hard stuff out of the way, Robert, the easy question. Do you pay him? I'm going to give you a non-answer. So here's my <laughs> non-answer. I, I think that he is now a very interesting test case of where quarterback contracts sit in the NFL. And we, we seem to have this conversation every couple of years. And I, I've written a lot about it a lot and I've thought about it a lot. When I was at The Ringer, I remember specifically writing a piece about why these quarterback contracts typically get handed out, even if we know they're dangerous. And I wrote it through the lens of Jared Goff and Dak Prescott at the time. And I think it's shifted a little bit post-Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. Because it used to be you have to do it. You have to do it in order to send a message to your locker room and some of the emotional aspects get involved in this. Like, you know, you work with the guy every day and, and all of that. But now I think that we've reached a really fascinating point in the NFL where we have the golf stuff and the Wentz stuff as recent examples of it not working out. And I also think that there are two aspects to quarterback play on a broader scale that have to inform this. The first is that it's easier to get competent quarterback play than it's ever been. I think that's a combination of the rules, how advanced quarterbacks are and how many footballs they've thrown by the time they're 20 years old. And also, I think the baseline level of coaching around the NFL has changed. Some of that is the proliferation of whatever this Shanahan-Kubiak sort of adjacent system is where it's quarterback friendly. And as that continues to grow, we're going to have more quarterbacks of competence around the league. But I also think the other important shift is the gap that exists between a guy who can do it and a guy who can get you all the way to the finish line. And I think we've seen that a couple different times over this offseason. It's happened with the Niners, and it's happened with the Rams, where you had two coaches within that system look around at the landscape of the league and say, my guy's just not good enough, and I know it. 
and they had to make a move for somebody else. So I think those two forces are almost pulling in opposite directions for whether you'd want to commit to Baker Mayfield long term. And I just don't know where you land. I don't know what the final answer is. I think it's a fascinating question, but I don't know what the right answer is. Um, As I mentioned before, like last October, I'm sitting there watching every Sunday and I'm thinking, well, the Browns are back. Like the Browns are good. The right people are in charge. And this is an ascending team. They don't have the quarterback. Then I watch him play now and I look around at the rest of the league and I say, well, there's a 97% chance that Baker's your quarterback. So do you just do it to do it, right? To say we're committed, we finally committed to the guy, his teammates like him, and we go? Or do you have to see six, eight, 18 games um, of, of high level before you do it? How do you think that plays out? I think he ends up getting paid. If I had to make a, a guess, I think he ends up getting paid, and I think I would probably pay him. But I also think that that shift between that shift from we need a guy who's good enough to win with and we need one of the guys is really important because I think he's clearly good enough to win with. And if we're acting under the old paradigm of that's the baseline level of quarterback play you need, and if you have one of those guys you should commit to him, then you do it 100 times out of 100. But as you look at the rest of the league and you look at the Mahomeses and even the Josh Allens when it comes to the overall talent level, guys like that, these supernovas that are currently in the league, even somebody like Justin Herbert, is Baker Mayfield on that level talent-wise? Is he somebody that can transcend the circumstances that he's in because he has that level of ability? I don't know the answer to that. And if the answer is no, do you want to commit to him? And I think that shift that's happened even in the last couple of years, we can even call it the Mahomes effect if we want to. It has to be in the back of your mind before you make this decision. Um, some people say never pay a running back. I say if you pay anybody, you got to pay Nick Chubb for what he is, and who he is, and what your team is. Where do you come out on that? I, I think that that's exactly where I probably sit with it too. Uh, I, these are really complicated decisions and on a purely fiscal level, it's a bad idea. We've seen it over and over and over again, but there are other considerations that you have to weigh. And this guy has been mindlessly effective, no matter what's in front of him. He's been one of the best players at his position. He's a, just a robot of destruction. Like the guy is just, he just gets it done. And like, that's how they think about him. I mean, when he was hurt last year, they were like, yeah, he'll be back sooner than he's supposed to. And he'll be great. Like it just, they, they rely on him and they know he's such a given and the talent level. I I think he might be the best back in the league. I really do. And so that's, there's so many different things that you have to weigh. And if you draft a guy and he's great for you, and then you just let him walk and you replace him with outside help or you spend your money elsewhere, that sends a message to your locker room. And I think you have to weigh that as well. So it's t- similar to the Baker thing. I-, I don't know exactly where I land and whether it should happen, but I do think in the end he will end up getting paid. Right. Like Kareem Hunt is great, right? Won a rushing title. The Browns have this great system great O-lineman and like Kareem has been clean and everything. But like you watch those four games without Nick Chubb and you're like, oh my God, like you have to pay Nick Chubb. Right. And that that's no, that's no diss on Kareem Hunt. That's just the reality. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the Kareem Hunt contract and when they, they signed it, 
it really protected them, right? So they didn't sure. have to pay Nick Chubb, and I think that's why they wanted to get that deal done. I don't think that deal precludes them from signing Chubb to an extension. I think that's more of a breaking case of emergency feature. I mean, there's no dead money on Kareem Hunt's deal after this year. So I think they have options, which that's all you really want. All you really want is the ability to pivot if necessary, and that's what the Hunt deal gives them. So I would much rather have Kareem, or Nick Chubb than Kareem Hunt for a variety of reasons, and it feels like if they want to make that decision, they'll be able to make that decision. Right. Um, along those same lines, but bigger picture, you know, obviously Andrew Barry is going to be forward-thinking, and obviously every team would love to build a winner that for 10 or 15 years becomes the next Ravens, Steelers, whoever, right? But you have to think in the here and now, and the Browns for the next two years would appear to have their window open, right? You know you're you're going to have Chubb. You're going to have your quarterback. You're going to have Ward. You're going to have Miles Garrett, you know, depending on – I mean, regardless of how all this stuff works out. So is there anything in that thinking that makes you think that something we don't see – is coming, or do you think they'll, they'll sign Chubb, they'll sign Ward, they'll sign Baker, and just kind of go from there? I think the current path is is they'll stick on it to a certain degree. I think this team wants to build on offense. That is where they're going to have the foundation of just their resources and their allocation and their focus. And that didn't happen this year because the offense is set. Because they spent last year tossing a ton of money at it. And for the most part, that depth chart is ready to go. So they didn't have to do that. But when it comes to those really big decisions and it comes to the future of the franchise and the way they want to shape this roster, I think they'll go offense over defense every single time when it's a toss-up. So that would be what something I'd keep in the back of my mind as I think about the really big investments. There is a chance that they look at this in the same way that the Rams have, right? Where you have these staples at different areas of your defense. The Rams have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. There's a chance that the Browns moving forward look at Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward in that same way, where you have these kind of independent worlds that everything else rotates around. And if you look at the def- the contracts they've handed out to free agents, the John Johnson deal is a significant investment. But for the most part, a lot of the other deals are shorter-term deals that they can get out of. It gives them flexibility. So I think that there's a possibility where you have two guys that they this team drafted in the top five they want to commit to that become the foundational pieces of that defense, and then you sign other guys on short-term deals to kind of refresh that defense as things move forward. So I think that is a plan that makes sense. As So the defense is more of a revolving door. The offense, that's the foundation of who you are as a franchise, and that's your identity. So on the morning of the second day of the draft, you tweeted this. I'm going to read it word for word. Andrew Barry has spent the past month following a step-by-step guide for how football geeks would retool a modern defense. It's like if NFL nerd Twitter ran the Browns. So naturally, I love all of it. (laughs) And I bookmarked that right then and there, you know, not knowing when we would actually um, get to talk. But, you know, for various reasons, the, the word analytics has been at the forefront of you know, external Browns conversations. It's been on good side, been on bad side. We know Andrew Barry's back. He's a very smart guy, but his background is, is purely in football and football scouting, right? Um, I just wanted you to expound upon that and what you like about, as you mentioned, the layers and the pieces of, of putting this defense together, a defense that might have nine new starters um, on, on day one in September. 
I think if you look at defenses that have been successful recently, the Rams, I'll keep going back to that because they're the best recent example of a quick turnaround success and I think schematically where the league might be going. And what the Rams did last year is they built layers of depth and versatility into the back end of their defense. I think they, I want to say they played like 10 secondary players last year that got real significant time for them. Some of that's driven by injury, but even in an ideal world, I think that's the way that that team would want to build. And I think the Browns are going in a similar direction. So if you look at the ways they've built the back seven this offseason, signing John Johnson allows you to now, if you want to, we'll see what happens with Delpit, do you use three safety sets with Ronnie Harris and Delpit and Johnson on the field together? Most likely if you want to. Now, with Greg Newsom coming in as your first-round pick, it bumps everyone down a slot. Now Greedy Williams is your fourth corner and is almost a luxury. So if you need to play four corners at a time when all those guys are healthy, you can do it. Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa does the same thing. He builds layers into your defense. If you want to play three linebackers and have him over the slot so it makes it more difficult for teams to run on you when you're in there in 11 personnel, you can do that. On the In the front four, it's just building different sorts of packages. So with Tack and Miles Garrett in there now, can you move Clowney inside and have him be like a spinner rusher where he was most successful in Cleveland or in Houston? That's the these are the considerations. It's building depth, it's building versatility, it's allowing you to have different answers to whatever an offense is going to throw at you and to maintain flexibility as you do it. The Clowney deal for one year 8 million if it doesn't work, you figure it out again next year. And that's what they're continuing to do. I think refreshing defenses with new talent to just give yourself a pop every year or so and building flexibility on the back end, that's exactly how I think a modern defense should be built. And that's exactly what they've done. Yeah, I really like the clowny signing and, and for the exact reason that you said there, being able to move him around and, and you know, obviously wanting the best out of him, him being only on that deal. I just have concerns, right? Like if he gets hurt or if he's not effective, they didn't do a whole lot else. Like Tack McKinley seems like a total luxury guy to me, right? They didn't go edge in the draft. You only have so many picks. Just seems like a lot of, I, I like the signing, but it, I'm acknowledging that there's a lot of risk with that. Do you agree? Yeah, there absolutely is. But again, I think that the hope is you have all of these different guys that you can throw out there and you can just find four guys. You can find four guys consistently to make it happen. All right, that's Robert Mays. We appreciate uh, the time, the insights. Obviously, an intelligent guy. Um, listen, no matter who you are, there is optimism about the Browns. Like this is clearly a really good roster. Uh, it's clearly a team that you know had some pieces and, and finally is keeping their coaches together. Had incredibly valuable, what should be anyway, experience last December. Not only with the weirdness of handling everything, but you know, the ups and the downs, the offense took off. They still lost to the Ravens in one of the games of the year. They needed things to go their way down the stretch, and they did. Beat the Steelers two games in a row. They got all of those burdens and all those terrible streaks out of the way. So uh, this is an exciting time. It is kind of the dead period of the offseason, and especially with no OTAs, guys, we'll probably be light in what we're writing, certainly what we're podcasting here. Uh, the $1 subscription special is back. So if you are not a subscriber – to The Athletic, now is the time to do it. Just click on any of my articles, any of the articles, go through and do there. Um, so again, Civilized Barking, love to do it, plan to do it more and more often and, and have guests like we just had with Robert. We appreciate 
his insight. So it might not be three times in the next couple of weeks here as we get to the end of the month of Memorial Day, but when there is football, when there is stuff to talk about, we'll certainly talk about it. Um, again, you know, as mentioned at the top of the show, what happens with the rest of the OTAs, you know, do the veterans really show up for minicamp and is anything getting done there? I, I don't know. We'll see how all that works out. But we're looking at a late July and into August and for what should be a long Certainly is an exciting Brown season. So from that regard, glad you're here. Um, hope you're reading. Hope you're sharing this podcast and, and everything. And glad to share in the excitement. So uh, that being said, I don't know when it will be. I'm actually going on a little vacation myself. But next time, for too long, we'll be back on Civilized Party.